passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock and Wei Ting with our all-out review, the 2023 version, our third show of four consecutive nights. How are you doing, Wei? I'm doing good. That was a tremendous event. It was a very, very good show. AEW put together uh, an excellent pay-per-view. How did you feel going into today's show with all the, the, the news that surrounded AEW this weekend, uh, this afternoon? How did you feel going into All Out and what what the expectations were for this show and how much or how little CM Punk would be a cloud over tonight's event? I mean, I thought it would be a pretty big one going in just because um, <laughs> how could it not be, right? You know, Chicago, big event, every star appearing on the show. Um so I think the puck news still definitely dominated maybe my mind as it related to, you know, the topic of AEW. But coming out of it, I mean, I always knew the show was going to be good. And I I, I almost didn't even expect it to be this good. Um, and I would say maybe a lot of the headlines hopefully would be sort of like taken over by just the quality of this, the wrestling here. Did tonight represent for you somewhat the next chapter of AEW? Like, how did you feel by the end of this show, maybe compared to going into it? I think I think like I, I at least as a fan, you know, like would look at this with a lot of optimism. I mean, not only did you have the return of Brian Danielson in a great match, I think you had some pretty fresh directions for a lot of guys going forward. Uh, and you ended the night with a tremendous main event, you know, with a new champion and John Moxley, I think elevated status for Orange Cassidy, certainly. So a lot of like interesting directions that you think you could take the company in that, um, you know, is wouldn't really kind of like make me concerned at all this for me it was very very different from where we were after all out last year where it felt like this company was under this cloud because all of this was still existing it was tonight felt as though all right we have we have removed what what they perceive to be the issue and now the company is moving forward. And it wasn't so much just the fact that the performers came out. And I think everyone knew that th this was going to be a very strong show. I would say it exceeded those expectations. I was more intrigued throughout tonight by this audience, which was, you know, it's in Chicago. It's at the United Center. And yes, we had certainly a contingent of people that, especially during the Young Bucks match where it was most prevalent. But overall... This was not an audience that was just the disciples of CM Punk that were coming here to voice their displeasure or hold this company back from having a great show. It felt as though they were as much moving on as the performers wanted to move on and put on a tremendous show. And it was one side feeding off the other for four or five hours. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly different maybe from prior instances of uh, this sort of thing happening or, um, you know, especially in the WWE when a CM Punk leaves. I mean, Punk very much, I think, became a symbol of, you know, dissatisfied fans with the company. You're talking about a lot of AEW fans that are typically very satisfied with what's going on here. And if anything, um, it might be all the drama, uh, whether whoever you would attribute it to, you know, it, it but, but it's the cloud of drama that probably took a, away a lot from the, the, the sort of just like reason why we're all here and that's to enjoy you know great professional wrestling so i got the sense like chicago was for the most part very ready to just enjoy the wrestling and and that meant not necessarily disrespecting you know a lot of the hardworking talents that are still on this show yeah and it will be it, it was interesting because listen we we have talked about all of these you know everyone getting their references in their zingers in and certainly people were reading into that with with Matt Jackson doing his his uh his victory lap on on collision and whether that was a a subtle nod to everything people are going to be looking into all of this i really hope as a, a concerted effort is that they move past that stuff and, mm-hmm. and learn as though these little things they become big things and more so for this specific case i think this audience wants them to move on from the CM Punk stuff and that you don't have to get in your little dig as some little win online for your fan base. I think like there is a much larger audience that very much wants to see all of this stuff in the rearview mirror for at least yeah. the time being. It's a big part of the reason why I was such uh, like a, a a critic of like that best of um, seven match with the elite versus death triangle. Last time they were in Chicago after all out, um, I I just thought that was a bad look, especially in a situation where you weren't able to like your punk was not around to be able to, you know, counter it or to answer it. Even if it was like a one night thing for that specific crowd, all it does is refan those flames. And tonight, I don't think you saw much like sort of egregious, like bringing up of like this incident to remind people. Right. Well, how how did you we're, we're going to jump all over the place here. How did you read the Samoa Joe MJF uh, pull apart where here is MJF uh, confronting Joe and being put into a standing guillotine before everyone separates the two. I mean, it's very hard to separate that from just the, the elephant in the room. I would certainly suggest that there's a strong likelihood that 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 was intentionally done as, as a reference, you know, considering and, and Joe being in the middle of this angle yeah. as well. I mean, of every wrestling or every MMA move, every choke hold, everything you could do to stop a, an interaction, to, to put a guy in a guillotine, I, I completely felt like it was very likely intentional. And I think these things occasionally are going to pop up. Like, you know, it's just it you 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 take what's sort of like in the disco- discourse and you make reference to it. Now, is it is it the type of thing that would piss anybody off? I certainly hope not. Like, it's. You know, it's just taking something topical and then kind of throwing it into your fiction just as like a bit of a, a wink and a nod. That's all. Well, I I do feel there there is a larger lesson of guys that are going out there and shooting their own angles mm-hmm. and without company authorization. And the fact that this got to ridiculous levels of, yeah. of different things and wanting that freedom for your performers, but at the same time, not to the detriment of relationships in the locker room. Like how many issues have we seen where it has been, a line has been taken the wrong way. And this is beyond just uh, CM Punk or the Young Bucks. Like we have seen, 
countless instances of this. And maybe they are not just so subtle and innocent when it it's causing division among your locker room and having a clear sense that when you're on our television, you are pushing the programs that we are going towards and Mm -hmm. you guys coming out and making reference to things that are online that we are not going in that direction. You are wasting our television time. And that is detrimental to our real estate and the programs that we are using our television as a vehicle to promote. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you'd hope that overall, like every single performer on this roster is working towards a common goal of, you know, lifting this entire company up and making the show overall a great cohesive product. Right. And I think that probably means not doing things maybe just to kind of satisfy your own, uh, I don't know, level of interest, perhaps. Um, I mean, you're making reference, of course, to, you know, Jack Perry's line, right? From I, I'm not being specific to one line because there's there's plenty of them that we could um, go go into uh, and, and stuff right. like that. But sure, you could bring that one up. Um, it's just like on its own, you would think like, what's the big deal? But we've we've seen what the big deal is when when you add up all of these and the real mm-hmm. issues that that it has caused, and more or less just the fact that like when you are out there, you are not there to just shoot your own angles. And we have seen like call outs on live television. We have seen like all of this stuff that has just festered. And I think that is one of many lessons that can be taken from this is just having a firmer grasp on what what your promos are going to contain and guys that are going into business for themselves or women for that matter. Um, that is like it's it's a multi pronged issue that it brings up, not the least of which is it's wasting our time if we are not going in that direction. Hmm. Uh, the only stuff on the punk thing we're, we're going to talk about was uh, Justin Barrasso at SI.com putting up uh, an update noting uh, the fact that uh, the firing did not come as a shock to WBD CEO and President David Zaslov, who uh, Sports Illustrated has learned was informed of the decision ahead of the company's press release. And also adding, this is by no means the end of Phil Brooks as CM Punk. Sources close to both sides expect a response, a response from punk, which holds the potential to be explosive. And I think everyone that has followed the career of CM Punk would think that he will have his version that is going to be out there, whether indirectly or directly from him himself in, in the near future and the potential legal ramifications. I mean, this could be a story that if we think this was the end and we're just crossing over, I mean, if you see a, a lawsuit coming out of this, this could drag on for for months, if not years, after this. On, on top of it, like this, yeah. we just don't know what the what the next step is going to be. But I think smart money is there are steps to come after this. Anytime there's you know a, maybe this sort of firing uh, with that much money at stake um, at the end of a a, a deal like this is millions I, of dollars. I think you would expect it. You know, if there's something to fight for, um, I, you you know, it almost feels like he he'd be doing a disservice by not fighting it. But the big sort of like mm, thing none of us really know about is just how damning this footage might be and how how much of a of a case would punk have in a court when there's like just judging by maybe the way Tony kind of phrased it through those statements. It, it, it sounds at least for, at least from him, like it's, it's pretty clear cut, at least clear cut enough for him to be able to go on TV to say that his life felt was threatened. So I don't know. None of us can really say at this point. Yeah. And that's the aspect of this all is 
Like, what was the incident or incidents involving CM Punk and Tony Khan, which have been, you know, various reports on, but like that's that's a huge aspect to this as well. Like the we focus a lot on like the the Punk Jack Perry stuff, but the Punk Tony Khan stuff is you know, based on the statement. Like that is as concerning, if not more, um, the the fact that there's that element to it. And if you look back to uh, the the Brett Vince fallout in '97, I mean that was part of the thought process was that. That was a breach of contract, what Vince McMahon did by violating the contract. And it was sort of like Brett's side was, you could file a suit over a breach of contract. You struck this man, like you assaulted him. And Mm -hmm. it's probably best that both sides just go their separate ways and we don't get into legalities because there would have been a countersuit and Vince would have been uh, right to sue him for assault and Mm -hmm. neither side went the legal route. And that might be a, a situation here where, uh, Punk's legal representatives look at the case and with the information they have could tell him, listen, this is going to be um, a lot of your time and money spent, and this is not promising uh, for you. And this is somebody that went through years of litigation. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't know how anyone would ever want to willingly invite that kind of legal headache on on their life uh, at this point. That could be literally like could be a multi-year process before there's some resolution. Certainly. But if that doesn't happen, you know, do we get an interview with Punk with with a, a media outlet? Um, I'm I'm really curious to see, um, like, because I'm sure he desperately probably wants to get his side of the story out there and he deserves to. So um, I, I would love to know if that ever happens. Yeah. And for those that are listening um, to the podcast version, we're doing this as the press conference is happening. So we will try and relay whatever news, but bear with us. That's all coming out in real time. And you would think that there's going to be plenty of questions regarding punk, but we're going to get into the review now from their second night at the United center, uh, around 9,500 people when it comes to uh, tickets distributed through WrestleTix and uh, stories uh, that had come out on, on Saturday uh, th- through Fightful and seemed to, to bleed into tonight about uh, the potential confiscation of CM Punk signs, which uh, to me, I it's a really puzzling one because that one just seems like a very easy um, idea to completely disregard if you were AEW. Like, why, why put yourself as the heel company that is uh, trying to ban people that might be CM Punk supporters? Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. Convert them with a kick-ass show, and that's what they did tonight i mean they mm-hmm. had a tremendous show and the audience like outside of the like the chance during the eight-man tag which i didn't think they overwhelmed or hijacked that match mm-hmm. but like this was a show that this could have been in any city and it is not as though this was a army of cm punk supporters or even if they were they were not going to ruin this show in yeah. protest conversely like when you try to censor when you try to you know maybe not give this crowd enough credit for them to, to be able to i don't know cheer for something that they truly admire versus like blindly you know wanting to hijack the show or support something that that breeds negative sentiment i should also add um so somebody who went to the arena told me that they heard a security guard tell them um, that uh, about the rumor, or, or at least not like it ended up being a rumor, but um, he said that a security guard was heard 
telling audiences to flip their CM Punk shirts inside out. Now, uh, this ended up, I think other people reported that this was simply a joke. Uh, Sean Rossap reported that this was only said in jest. Nonetheless, um, it seemed at least to be a few people were actually concerned, if not even outraged by by this, but it was not something that they were doing whatsoever. Um, the sign thing, I don't know if they were doing today, but um, they were on it, Saturday. They were on Saturday, yeah. Um, and maybe Tony Khan will be asked about that. Like it would, it would seem like just a, a poor strategy and unnecessary. I would say a, a very unnecessary too. Like mm-hmm. you, you did see, like there was, you could see like a best in the world sign out there and stuff tonight. And it's like, so what? Like there, there were pro and anti CM Punk signs at, at the show tonight. We start off on the zero hour with Renee Paquette and RJ city. Uh, Brian Danielson did this great promo and said how he was at home and saw how Ricky steamboat, who he was always a fan of was attacked by Ricky Starks and talked about meeting him when he was 20 years old and telling Danielson that he was incredible and said how the last time he was in a strap match, he was in a mat, a strap match with someone he loved in reference to Bray Wyatt when they had their Royal Rumble strap match and we beat the shit out of each other. So what's going to happen when I don't love you, Ricky Starks? I don't even like you. The answer was um, they were going to beat the shit out of each other and it would be something for the ages. That was the answer. Mm-hmm. And they had to do, I mean, I'm sure a little bit of extra work here because they really only had one day to build this match. But, you know, it's the type of announcement that I think is so hot that it the word spreads around really fast. Um, do you think that um, they could? Okay, so obviously they didn't know about Punk yet on Wednesday. Um, so I guess it was still possible that he might have been on this show. Like what? what do you I, I I don't think there was a reasonable possibility. I I think Tony Khan was covering himself by just stating we don't have an answer yet. But right. I once they had that footage, I think once they saw that footage, I think it was next. I I don't think there was any possibility, and they yeah. were just simply covering themselves from a legal perspective and crafting that statement and making sure that when we do this, we are properly covered. I really don't think there was any shot CM Punk was doing these shows this week, even the, though you would have come out of the conference call with that thought that there is at least the possibility looking back now and, and seeing how, how this, this was described and mainly Tony Khan, yeah. his specific involvement in the incident. Mm-hmm. There was no way, there was no way you were putting this guy in a, in an AEW backstage environment again. Yeah. So whatever, for whatever reason, they chose to wait until Saturday to announce it. And yes, they did have like, you know, a lot set up with like, you know, TV time for Starks and, and Stebo to be able to tell the story. But hey, man, like I think the company kind of proves yet again that you could wait until 24 hours before to announce a big match and p- plenty of people will be interested and it'll feel like a big deal. Well, the again, this this is going to be a tremendously well-reviewed pay-per-view the question will be will it be a tremendously purchased pay-per-view and those Mm -hmm. are different things um like we can like there will certainly be the narrative that oh everyone dogged this pay-per-view and look what it did and listen i don't think anyone was looking at this card and thinking man this is going to be a bad show it was going to be a great show but like there's a reason why all these movie studios are looking to delay the release of all these films because the actors cannot promote these films. You can't just put a film in the theater and say, hey, it's a great movie. People are going to show up. You need to be able to promote it and have the time and use your television. And this show, I will still maintain as great as this show was. I don't think back to back weekends is your, your best um, 
your best opportunity. But I can't say that definitively until we know how this show perform. Because if it ends up doing a, a, a shockingly good number, then that would be the counter argument that I would have to look at the results and, and change my opinion of. So I, we, I think... we will see what this means. And, and if the punk stuff in a weird way helped this show at all, like Danielson was a great boost at the end. Was yeah. it enough for people to buy this that were not? And how many people were just simply curious? Like we had a caller yesterday said, you know, Hansi said because of all the punk stuff, he he got more interested in this just to kind of see how the crowd would react. How many people would be tuning in just for that reason? You know, I think AEW audiences are a very unique audience from anything we've seen before, you know, in professional wrestling. I would maybe um, maybe draw even more parallels to like a, a, a Taylor Swift audience where, you know, they can simply tweet out hey i got a movie coming out and did you hear about the the success of this like movie thing that she, she's doing she's doing like a, a, t- a concert film that in that's imax yeah and this thing is like sold out like everywhere and all it took was just like an instagram post i mean you know it it, it, it we're ta- we might be talking about that level of like a diehard audience right now well the first match was the over the budget charity battle royal where the winner would get to donate $50,000 of Tony Khan's money to a charity of their choosing. And this included the best friends, Dalton Castle, Sean Spears, the returning Scorpio Sky, who we have not seen since July the 8th, Jake Hager, Menard and Parker, Daniel Garcia, Action Andretti, Darius Martin, Serpentico, Commander, Brian Cage, The Gates of Agony, Aussie Open, Tony Nese, and Hangman Page. Uh, Nice did a heel promo calling the fans fat, so he was just lifted and dumped out of there pretty quickly. The uh, Mogul Embassy also stated that they would be donating their money if they won to the Mogul Embassy Foundation, which would be themselves. Yeah, that would be a a PayPal transfer to Prince Nana's account. So Spears and Garcia did a – Spears was doing the 10. Garcia came back dancing, and then eventually Spears joined him in the dance before they were all thrown out. A lot of standard stuff here with the with, with the Battle Royal. We had a, a ton of eliminations. Sky uh, ended up eliminating both Jake Hager and Daniel Garcia of the JAS before, or at least what's left of the JAS before he was sent out. And we got it down to Andretti, Hangman Page, Trent Beretta, Brian Cage, Toa, and Kyle Fletcher. And the crowd is chanting cowboy shit. So if you thought Hangman was going to be the recipient, um, wasn't, wasn't at least in this instance. Um Fletcher sends out Andretti. Trent then eliminates Fletcher with a half and half on the edge and then Cage with the uh, the F10 sending Trent over the top. He's gone. Cage does a running powerbomb that's countered by uh, Hangman with a head scissors. He buckshots Toa to eliminate him. And then Page skins the cat, pulls Cage over, and hits the Deadeye to eliminate Brian Cage in 13 minutes and 16 seconds. And later on in the show, they announced that Hangman Page would be donating his 50000 to the Chicago Public education fund and when nigel did mention his name there were some boos for hangman late uh, when this announcement was made but by the end it was like okay he's sending 50 grand back to our educational system so you know what that that will baby face you if there was any doubt it makes sense considering his background as a teacher of course right yeah um yeah i wonder if if he actually chose it or if it was just you know just um like a like a thing tony chose and then just decided to use hangman for it but um uh, knowing how they are with a lot of this, it would not surprise me if they were mm-hmm. they legitimately let the performer pick a, a donation. Very possible. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people were disappointed that Hangman didn't have a match on the show. This might have just been the next best thing. Give him, you know, generic battle royal um, and then this sort of like nice baby face spot at the end here with him choosing a local charity to give the the thing to. Um, 
no indication to me that like there's any sort of further storyline for Paige coming off of this. Obviously, they could build to it, but I think a lot of us are, are probably hoping for that, you know. For well, they did they something. did state he'll have a segment on Dynamite, and we've got another pay-per-view in four weeks. So right. it would it would seem likely that he'll be in this next cycle, especially going over in this battle royal. Uh, uh just a note from the press conference, Tony Khan announced that this pay-per-view is already over one hundred thousand in buys. Okay, like that. I, I was th- thinking like, you know, if you do 110 for this show coming off of, you know, such a big number last week, um, like I looked at 110 as like, you know, your barometer if you do over that. So, I mean, if they're and with positive word of mouth coming off of this, what about late buys for this show? Well, th- this one I could certainly see getting a lot of positive uh, word of mouth, which AEW has benefited from. Like they're they're great shows that, you know, get that kind of buzz. They do well with with replay buys. Um but yeah, he's probably judging that based on kind of the digital buys because the traditional buys like that, that's going to be, you know, several days, I think, before they get a, a strong handle on it. Athena, Diamante and Mercedes Martinez with Billy Starks in their corner. So she was not ready to go here. This had been the match that had been teased on the conference call, Athena and Billy Starks. And they were taking on Hikaru Shida, Sky Blue from Chicago and Willow Nightingale. Mercedes did a spider suplex onto Sky Blue, and then the O face was hit. We had Mercedes and, uh, or uh, sorry, Athena and Willow Nightingale interact, and they told the story of, of their big match that they had in July on the Death Before Dishonor show. And then Sheeta and Athena face off, teasing something down the road. And there's a pounce that sends Athena into the barricade. And then Athena's pulled to the floor by Sky Blue and Sky and Willow double team Diamante, ending with a, a rough looking code blue onto Diamante. And Sky gets the uh, the hometown victory in eight minutes and 29 seconds. Bit of a shame about that code blue at the end, the, you know, um, sort of the closing image of, of the match. And unfortunately, didn't really look all that impactful. But um, nonetheless, I I mean, it, it was really nice that she continues to really now be, I think, Chicago, like the biggest, Chicago, biggest star. Chicago star now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, coming out here, wearing the flag. Um, I think a good showcase for several people in this division. I'm continuing to really enjoy these like women's trios matches this week. When you only have one or two matches on a show for the entire women's division, um, this really might be sort of like the best way to take advantage of that time by, you know, giving a spotlight, especially for people like Athena that I think a lot of people this week were clamoring to see on this pay-per-view. Jose, uh, this was our, um, our Lucha Underground special, as they have been uh, referred to quite often, with Jose Dralistico and Preston Vance going to meet Roosh. And he had to push them to the limit to escalate their level of violence. So if you've missed these, uh, Preston Vance and Dralistico were kidnapped and taken uh, pr- prisoners and basically ki- murdered these people to break free. I think we had like several killings in this test. I mean, I guess um, laws are crazy. Um, this was this was also footage that they they were able to get. <laughs> so maybe this was uh, they've they, they've got their cameras everywhere, and these mm. guys are just scot free. Welcome to come back. I, I can't explain it. LFI is here to stay. It's their time to dominate and take the titles and take over. AEW. We will see how successful they are with that uh, that goal. And then the acclaimed and Billy Gunn with 62-year-old Dennis Rodman taking on Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and Satnam Singh for the Trios Championships. Uh, the star of this was Sanjay Dutt. He came out in, a, in an Isaiah Thomas jersey and did like the big 
introduction of all the team members for Team Jarrett. Um, this was great. And then Max came out and he rapped about how Karen is checking out the worm. Uh, they're tight like Dennis and Kim Jong-un. And he's going to beat down the 2023 oddities, which is how he's referring to uh, Jared and company. So I feel with Max Caster's raps, it's sort of like if he's avoiding like the obvious subject, it almost feels like he's being uh, manipulated or uh, he's being censored a- mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And that's kind of where when there is a major story that AEW does not want addressed, I think there is some like um, collateral damage as it pertains to Max's rap if he doesn't address it. I mean, I I don't disagree. He's kind of made a name for like, you know, talking about what you aren't supposed to talk about. But in this instance, with the wound still this raw, I'm sure. Oh, I'm like, b- believe me, I was not advocating for it. It's just mm-hmm. it's a byproduct of the reality that right. I think the audience, they look at it as like, OK, he's he's avoiding this. So uh, let, let's just bring up how the babyface has a relationship with a with a dictator. <laughs> yeah. Billy Gunn brings out Aubrey Edwards to be the referee. So Karen is furious going back months to Aubrey Edwards, one and only AEW match. They got the advantage onto Max Caster. Karen was choking her from the floor. Karen was getting involved, tripping Bowens. And then we build up to the hot tag, the hot tag to Billy Gunn, who is the, the, the big gun of the team. Pardon the pun. And Singh choke slams Bowens. Karen enters with a guitar and Aubrey stops her. So then Sanjay distracts Aubrey and Aubrey physically removes karen from the ring as dennis rodman has his big spot coming in and dude this place went nuts when he came in he took the guitar and he smashed it over Sutnam singh's head which got a giant pop billy gunn comes over and he's instructing rodman to get out of the ring so aubrey doesn't see him dude's like i got all the way into this ring I'm just going to watch the ending. And so Aubrey's <laughs> got to turn around. It's a broken guitar. The dude's got the guitar in his hands, the broken guitar. And Aubrey's just got to look like the fool here. But Dennis Rodman was not exiting here. So there's a famous sort of lethal, the arrival, mic drop, and they pin lethal in 557. And then the acclaimed and gun scissored with Dennis Rodman, who was just, he was on this show, but d- this got a pop. This totally got a pop when he finally came in and did his one spot. Yeah, I would say it added something to it. Otherwise, you know, just uh, just the trios match between the acclaimed and Jay Lethal, Sutton Singh and uh, Jeff Jarrett. Um, I don't know if it did a whole lot for me watching at home, but I, I think you, you know, occasionally do, doing these things for the live Chicago crowd, um, I think is fine, especially like given uh, the potential disappointment of not having uh, CM Punk on the show and not having a hook for collision. Um I thought it was perfectly fine, harmless. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't say there was anything on the zero hour that you have to go back and uh, a, and check out, but it was it was the zero hour. So I mean, hmm. that's all yeah. it was. We open up the pay per view with MJF and Adam Cole defending the ROH tag titles against John Silver and Alex Reynolds, a matchup I did not think would be coming to any pay per view near you uh, in mm-hmm. 2023 or any year for that matter, but. Man, this was another match where, man, Cole and MJF, they have to do so little, but they get the most out of this audience. They are immediately chanting double clothesline. They're wearing their better than you Bebe shirts with a 23 on the back, which I hope they sold the hell out of these shirts in in Chicago. This was very Mm -hmm. smart on their part. This was their Pittsburgh World Order shirt. Yeah, maybe a little bit more creative and, and a bit more effort than that. But yeah, cool. 
MJF starts a sportsmanship chant because he started uh, Alex Reynolds had a hand in training him at the creative pro school. So they have a history. MJF signaled for the kangaroo kick and the place just goes electric. And then he gets hit and he starts selling his neck on the floor and he's telling Adam, it's my neck. It's my neck. And Cole goes, where does it hurt? My neck. (laughs) And MJF is taken to the back. So we get a prolonged period where it is two on one with Dark Order against Cole, and you've got Evil Uno as well out there, who's stomping on Cole in the corner. Then he goes into the corner and gives Cole the middle finger from the apron, and the Dark Order call for their own double clothesline, but Cole kicks out. Reynolds gets the belt, and Cole boots Reynolds, super kicks Silver, and then the crowd erupts as MJF returns. He's clutching his neck. Adam Cole has no concern about his neck. He just tags the guy in. So as he's holding the neck, they're comparing this to Michael Jordan when he played with the flu and he hits the kangaroo kick place goes unglued and Cole super kicks Uno. They call for the double clothesline and pin Alex Reynolds in 14 minutes and seven seconds. And afterwards, MJF doesn't want any assistance to the back. And as he's walking up, Samoa Joe's music plays, which they explain he's in the next match. And as he's walking down, Suddenly, it was TakeOver Brooklyn, and he shoved the security guard, MJF, to the side, and MJF wasn't taking this anymore. And Cole tries to restrain him, but MJF runs into the ring, attacks Joe, who then proceeds to apply a guillotine to subdue the situation. And Mm. had any monitors fallen over, I think this would have been, um, I mean, maybe too close to whatever was being did have plenty of cameras on this one. Yeah, and then uh, security separated them. So I... I really like this in terms of telling you where they're going next and did it in a kind of organic way. You had a, a callback, which they should reference that. that Oh, it'll be the, the justification for the entire story, I imagine. I mean, MJF, you know, I'm sure he had every reason. Oh, to he's work. got a 20 minute monologue about what that day meant to him yeah. and how he ruined it by becoming a meme. If if somehow like we had um his time at training with alex reynolds and uh budge you know being brought up as as part of the build to this dark order match i guarantee you we're going to get that moment where mjf maybe you know just like looking to get a little bit of backstage experience decided to take a job as a you know security guard for one night and then to have this man shove him yeah absolutely it's it's going to be part of the story uh, i i thought they had a really good match it was more so about the story with the neck and the big comeback from mjf late in the match i wouldn't say this was such a great match that it just had everyone, you know, proven wrong about Dark Order in such a coveted spot on the show. Um, but it was it, it was a good match, and the crowd they're super into MJF and Adam Cole. It's it is the hottest act in, in the company, and I'm just I'm amazed at just how they can get by doing just like a tiny percentage of what so many others do, and they just get these gigantic reactions, and it works. I think it's part of the genius of this entire MJF and, um, you know, Adam Cole thing. Like they are doing kind of like the, the silliest things and getting the biggest reactions out of it. You know, it's a total exercise in doing the, getting the most out of doing the least. And and it was the same with the Wembley match. Um, I think this entire MJF babyface run continues to feel very much almost like a little bit of a parody of, of every sort of classic babyface trope, including tonight getting, you know, him being the tag partner that leaves mid match due to injury only to come back for this incredible pop coming in, doing the 10 punches and just like everything. And the crowd ate this up. So much credit goes to the layout of this match. 
but especially the great execution. I, you know, okay, Dark Order certainly like have not been pushed to feel like any sort of significant like pay per view level threat to the, the championship. Certainly, um, and the other options I guess would have been what like Aussie Open or the Hardys. Um, I get the sense Aussie Open they're trying to save to you know build to a bigger title challenge, perhaps a, a bigger rematch. I should say the Kingdom. Uh, that too, yeah. But this was going to be a much better match than what the Hardys were, were to be able to pr- provide. And at this point, I I could see them building up to a Hardys match, but maybe for for television, for an opening match, I thought this was really good. You know, Dark Order, I thought um put in a great like double, sometimes triple team pressure on Adam Cole, and to be able to continue to emphasize the neck injury, um continues to build MJF's vulnerability as a babyface, and it's now also a weakness that you can always tie back to Adam Cole because his best friend happened to give him this awful injury that you know might just progressively get worse and worse throughout this run. So I. It might even be one of the more more significant things to come out of that Wembley match. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that it's sort of like the Adam Cole thing is going to simmer. Mm-hmm. And with this Joe program, I think they can it, it, it they have the history. You've got this move in the muscle buster that is just tailor made for this guy with a bad neck in all of it. And then you've got and like Adam Cole, uh, and you've got now the guillotine as well. So maybe um yeah, maybe MJF is gonna be doing some training. All right, Samoa Joe is uh, he he goes through, uh, you know, he takes on Shane Taylor for the ROH Television Championship, and they didn't have a whole lot of time. But on a card that has thirteen matches, believe me, I was not upset at a fine six minute match that this one did not need much more of. To be quite honest, like Shane Taylor, there was a story here. He had won the tournament on ROH Television, but I don't know how many I. I I think it would be a stunning amount if we knew the amount of people that are watching AEW that are also watching ROH every week. Um, But Shane Taylor, he's a really good talent. He's just not being seen by a lot of people. And they trade big shots early on. Joe uh, hits a senton and Taylor kicks out at one. And then he uh, applies a rear naked choke. And Taylor's big spot was turning this into like a hangman's cutter off of the top rope, uh, which looked great, and then hit a splash for a two count. Joe stops a strike with a huge forearm, delivers these big knees and a coquina clutch, and Taylor is out in six minutes and 22 seconds. If you are grooming this guy for a program with MJF, this guy, you did not need to give Taylor everything in this match or be vulnerable. This was a fine six-minute match, and it primes Joe for a big championship program with MJF. I like the booking of this. Even yeah, if it I'm, wasn't like a big match on the show. Agreed. I mean, after the MJF brawl, uh, you sense that making Joe feel as strong as possible for a title challenge was going to be a priority of this match. And as a result, um, I wasn't really expecting much of a back and forth. And it, it was to the betterment of, you know, Samoa Joe and the overall company to just have a really strong Joe match. Uh, unfortunately, you know, fans of Shane Taylor are probably not going to be happy because this is a pretty forgettable appearance from him. Um, maybe he impressed certain people, maybe he impressed certain people in the back, and hopefully it means, you know, some sort of considerate, considerable push coming off of this. But tonight was not about him. No, it wasn't. I, I, like, I was fine with the ma- Like, this was a TV-style match. Mm-hmm. I could certainly see, like, your dedicated audience that is watching ROH and <laughs> sat through this tournament and yeah. you would think, like, if this had been on ROH 
TV proper. Like this would have been a big 20 plus minute main event, maybe to justify this tournament. I could see people being let down if they were um, following all of this. And this was the end result of it. But I thought Taylor actually looked fine. If if you were someone that wasn't as familiar with him, like I've, I've enjoyed this guy for a long time and we'll, we'll see if there's more integration and maybe it's a lesson of your people at ROH. You should be, do, can we call those call-ups? Um, I don't know if that's the proper term yet, but I don't think for a lot of them, there should be this hard and fast rule about you're just ROH. Like Athena could benefit from being showcased more on a, a collision every now and then. And um, like you've already introduced all these championships, so you, you might as well expose them when, when you need it. Luchasaurus and Darby Allen with Christian and Nick Wayne in the respective corners for the TNT championship. And Excalibur notes that Darby has stated he is in the most consistent pain that he's ever been in. So he's probably been in worse pain, but never as consistent as this pain is. Right. This is a, it's chronic. This is a, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's chronic. And Darby gets a, uh, Busted open pr- pretty early here after he's thrown into the steps. And this was our first of a lot of blood on this show. And Darby is just getting dominated when he finally places Luchasaurus in a chair and delivers a swan dive from the turnbuckle to Luchasaurus, who is seated on the chair on the floor. Then Darby had this amazing counter from the shoulders into a beautiful crucifix bomb. And Luchasaurus hits this release German and Darby comes down on his head and neck and Christian hands the towel to Nick Wayne, is trying to have him throw it in like he's Andre Chase. Darby comes off the shoulders, landing a tope suicida, taking out Christian, and then a code red off the top. Darby gets this amazing near fall. Crowd goes nuts for that. And then there's a, a cage, nails Nick Wayne with a chair, and is distracting Darby because Christian is setting up for a concerto to Nick Wayne, and this gives Luchasaurus time to stop Darby, hit him with a pair of tombstones and a big lariat, dropping him on his neck and retains the title in 12 minutes and 13 seconds. Afterwards, Luchasaurus holds Nick Wayne to watch as Christian goes to deliver a concerto to Darby, but members of the locker room led by Sean Spears come out to help Darby and prevent the concerto. Because if this man's in the most consistent pain of his life, he does not need a concussion. Oh, certainly not. Yeah. I thought this was a really good match. You know, certainly um, Darby Allen takes a hell of a beating. Uh, and in this one, he took a huge one. And as a result, became this lovable, completely sympathetic character throughout. It made Luchasaurus and Christian look fantastic. And I speak of those two as a single unit because in this match, you really got the sense that they are a single unit. You know, um, they had, you know, Luchasaurus, of course, being positioned as I mean, he's Kane from 1998. Like he's just a monster and completely just like um uh, pretty devastating and silent and then you had christian basically kind of tonza from lucha underground uh, that too sure and then he's also uh, but christian on the outside continues to play with the mind games i love the way that christian was able to put pressure on wayne to tease the towel throw uh and also threatening the one-man concerto, consistently distracting Darby Allen. Uh, it, it put overall Darby into, I think, a very difficult and very sympathetic position that you ended up feeling you know, for. Um, so overall, I thought this match set up a really wonderful comeback for him in the future. Yeah, I thought they really positioned Luchasaurus as this uh, destructive monster. And it's a really good act that you have with Luchasaurus and Christian at, at mm-hmm. the moment. Like that, that's working very well. And... 
different ways that you can go with Darby and Nick Wayne out of this. Um, Did this feel like a temporary uh, write-off of Darby with like, you know, the entire roster coming out to, you know, show concern for him? I don't, I don't know if it's a, it's a write-off. Um, I didn't read it as that, but I mean, there's the man deserves a vacation. Um, gonna... There's probably plenty of people on the, on this roster that, that could use uh, some time off, but no one wants time off. Everyone wants to be doing more. Yeah. You got to convince these guys to take a vacation. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Powerhouse Hobbs and Miro. This was one of the most bizarre matches. So this, you know how many matches Miro has had this year? I mean, I guess two. He had three. You know how many okay. matches he had last year? Th- three. Three. <laughs> wow. So okay. this well, he year, was injured, right? Kind of. He was he was gone for a while. He was he was filming stuff as well. Hmm. Um, this year he has had three matches with a combined eight minutes of ring time this year. Okay. Goodness. And he has not wrestled since July 22nd. So this like he broke uh plenty of records here. He he did like double the match time of his whole year uh in this one match with with Hobbs. These two guys, they owe uh, a debt of gratitude to this Chicago audience who, to me, they like made this match. Like these two were having like they were doing their big power spots. But then the crowd just started getting into chanting, slap that meat and all these variations of meat. And I would say like without this crowd, I thought this was a fine match. But with this crowd, this became like. The, the match uh, certainly of Hobbs's career and uh, among the better ones with, with Miro as well. Like this atmosphere was amazing for mm-hmm. this match. And they just really got into the notion of like these two big dudes uh, killing each other. So they're chanting meat. They're chanting meat forever uh, as Excalibur notes. Maybe that could be a new game mode uh, for, uh, for fight forever. Miro hits his kick for a near fall and the game over is applied, but Hobbs is able to break out of it. So the crowd chants, holy meat. Miro then gets off the turnbuckle. He hits his own spine buster and Hobbs kicks out of this. So once they got, they had this crowd that were just into the chanting. And then we got into these near falls and that just escalated things that much more. Hobbs applies his version of game over after stomping Miro in the back and Miro escapes it. And then it's Miro hitting his own spine buster and then stomps him game over and Hobbs taps right as Miro's like losing his grip on it. Cause the guy is so big at 1538 and the crowd gets to their feet at the end of this. It was, if you watch this match on mute, I think you would have a very, like, it was just to me, it was a match. I, I don't think I would have been raving about it, but man, this audience just treated this as though it was this classic match. And I was just, I was amazed by this, that how different um, a reaction you you could have just based on the, the heat for it. It was a lovely, like very chantable type of match. And I thought the 
two participants in the match completely played with the crowd reaction wonderfully, you know, whether or not this was a match kind of designed to play off the chance, but it was entirely a match that I felt was dictated by the crowd energy and reactions. I, if you had told me this afternoon, we're going to give Miro and Hobbs 16 minutes. I would have said that that's risky. I would say that's very risky to put these two out there for that amount of time, but man, it, it worked that that was the end goal Mm -hmm. and Hobbs offers his hand Miro accepts it, but then Hobbs jumps him from behind and they're all disappointed. They really wanted to see these two become like uh, Apollo Creed and Sylvester Stallone uh, at, (laughs) at the end of their fight. And he chokes Miro when all of a sudden CJ Perry makes her AEW debut, the former Lana and comes into the ring, drills Hobbs with a chair that he no sells. So then he gets up, turns his back to Miro, and Miro attacks with the chair. And Miro is staring at, at CJ and just is having a conflict. He says, you are not real. Because if you recall, he renounced his God and his hot wife. And now his hot wife is there in the flesh, and he leaves her in the ring. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're supposed to believe in storyline that these two are broken up and, you know, they're they're currently not together or maybe she vanished somehow. His words were, you are not real. <laughs> right. So this is um, he did. He didn't even believe what he was in front of him. Yeah. OK, um, we'll see. How, we'll see how they make that uh, feel, um, you know, real. This will probably like- be settled by all out next year when Miro has his next match. <laughs> Um, I think I love the fact that they're not immediately like, you know, pairing these two together. They're going to give us a little bit of a story to, you know, before they're they're completely reunited. Um, I think, you know, CJ Perry, like coming into AEW was always a topic of discussion when Bureau made his debut. And um, I've, I certainly felt my in my, myself like a little bit of resistance about how well she would fit into AEW, especially considering she ended her WWE run almost like as a, as a wrestler. And as a wrestler, she certainly has a lot to maybe, you know, um, evolve into if she's going to maybe keep up with like the best of the AEW roster. But AEW also has plenty of room for people that are strictly managers. And she is a fantastic manager. She is a fantastic promo. And now as sort of like this person to to tell a, a deeper Miro story with, I think she'd be a great fit right now. I, I think she was always at her best when she was paired with, with Rusev, with Miro. And if she has a desire to do the wrestling side, um, the fact is, she she is, to the best of my knowledge, off the top of my head, she has not wrestled since she left WWE, and I don't really care to watch her learn on national TV. And she I, can have the occasional, like you know, she could take bumps certainly, and I think being able to do that um, and having the occasional match is very valuable for a manager. Um, but I I don't know if many would see like you know the AEW ch- women's championship in her future, nor w- would I. I don't even know if that would be her desire. It's not her strength. It's not the strength. And she has strengths, and oh, yeah. those should be accentuated. Chris Statlander and Ruby Soho for the TBS championship. Uh, Chris Statlander came out, and Excalibur noted she was uh, giving off uh, Blue Steel. She Jim Ross dressed um, as Derek Zoolander. And Jim Ross asked to explain what is Blue Steel, and Excalibur explained Zoolander uh, to Jim Ross on the broadcast. Oh, good. So now he is up to speed on his 2001 uh, semi hits starring okay. Ben Stiller. 
Soraya is yelling at the referee for counting too slow. And we saw a Saito suplex by, by Ruby Soho. She uses the gory special. And then the Sunday Night Fever gets countered with a roll-up. Soraya just loses it. This fan had a sign that read, Soraya calls fries chips. And Soraya came over and tore this sign, which was funny. But the funnier uh aspect to this was the fan that took the two portions of the sign and held them up together <laughs> so you could still read it after it had been torn so this guy he put some effort into this she calls fries chips mm, quite the quite the zinger yeah so um there was a twisting power slam from statlander off the second turnbuckle ruby comes back with a poison rana and then a basement rana for a near fall Soraya distracts and the big near fall spot was a no future off the turnbuckle followed by destination unknown. So Ruby's two big finishers that lead to a kick out by Chris, not the reaction you would expect for such a significant buildup for, for a kick out. And then Soraya distracts as Ruby gets the spray paint. When all of a sudden Tony storm comes from underneath the ring and takes the spray paint can away from Ruby and this leads to Sunday Night Fever and Statlander retaining in 12 minutes and 19 seconds. Um, I, the finish brought it down for me. I also didn't feel like this one was one of the better matches on the show. It feels like they they had structured uh, a fine enough match together. I just didn't think it, it, it hit to the level they expected, especially for some of the near falls down the end. Hmm. I mean... um. I, I think you expected some finish involving the spray paint. I mean, in every outcast match, the spray paint plays a part. It just depends on whether or not it works out for the outcast. So I, I, I didn't mind it. Certainly, you know, Tony Storm is probably the hottest act in the outcast right now. And this gave her a bit of a role, um, continues to drive that descent between the, the, the team and uh, gave Tony Storm a spot on the show. I like the match. I thought Statlander has looked really awesome during this TBS title run. Um, her offense looks great. It looks really powerful. And I think it's really impressive to continue to see the growth in her confidence every time you know she's out there like it wasn't that long ago when she won the championship and she has quickly kind of like filled the role of champion really really well so i think she continues to be a strong part of the show i think soho has also been able to find herself really well now as a heel and even in terms of in-ring style compared to like maybe how she was in the wwe maybe even how she was when she started in AEW. i she feels like a lot more complete and um her her move set is is much more spectacular now so i thought these two did really well um yeah i wouldn't say one of the best matches on the show but i thought it was a really good match the strap match between brian danielson and ricky starks followed that with steamboat joining them on commentary with excalibur and nigel mcginnis and danielson comes out to europe yeah it's not just a, a one-time thing in toronto that's it's a pay-per-view uh, special. I like it. A pay-per-view special. And man, this crowd, they're going nuts here, chanting yes before the match even begins. And Stark stalls, running away from getting uh, tied up to the strap, and then attacks Danielson before the bell rings and starts whipping him with his weight belt and uses the buckle of the weight belt to bust open Danielson, who's bleeding before the match even begins, which might have beaten any of Moxley's uh, bleedings before to actually bleed before the start of the match so the match begins and starks chokes and whips a bloody brian danielson who as we recall came to AEW because he wants to bleed and he got his wish here after months on the sidelines danielson uh would just attack him with, with kicks and the whipping that these two men i cannot imagine 
what the the Instagram, well, I don't know how much Danielson oh. is on Instagram, but do Danielson in the best of times is a heavy bruiser. I cannot imagine what this dude is going to look like tomorrow, if not um, an hour after this match finished, because I was in pain watching some of some of this and they're just brutally whipping whipping each other's chest um danielson wrapped the the strap around the post with starks and Starks starts bleeding after a post shot and they cut to the bottom turnbuckle and it's soaked in blood and then they zoom in to starks who is bleeding it was it was a great shot of this turnbuckle that's just like looked like a set of a horror film here and then they whip, they start whipping each other in like the face, the neck, yeah, the neck and the side of the face, and mm-hmm. with all of their might. Like these were like major league baseball pitchers, like throwing their biggest fastball, and over and over and over again. I mean, this this would be just an absolute no go for me. Like, well, this would like, be it. Would just be like, there's no way you can you can drop me on my head before we do this spot back and forth <laughs> um this I, look I, just i mean just hey so man when, when, a, when a man is cleared it means he's cleared and he could do it really take anything and i guess danielson probably has dreams of this i want to come back with a <laughs> yeah. strat match so i mean this was just unbelievable yeah. and danielson is standing up to him and he's He's just, oh, the best was as they're whipping each other in the necks, Ricky Steamboat, it's what we do. It's what we do. (laughs) He just gets his line in there. And Danielson tells him to come on. And he whips the hell out of Starks. And then Big Bill appears. And Steamboat gets up. This is his big moment. And he chops and strikes Big Bill. And then grabs Steamboat by the throat. So Danielson throws Starks onto Bill. And Danielson hits a high cross, taking out Starks and Bill. And Ricky returns to the commentary uh, desk and says, that big guy came in and I didn't think that was fair. And Excalibur just quietly notes, oh, big Bill, big Bill. I don't think <laughs> Ricky guy. knew who this guy was, but oh, no. knew he had a spot here. Um, Danielson then stomps the head in, LaBelle Lock wraps the strap around Ricky's throat and pulls back as Starks passes out. At 1639, they really put over that Starks never quit. And Steamboat comes and checks on Starks, but he leaves with Danielson. Um, this is, I, I can't say I've watched every strap match and there were, you know, in territories and such. I feel pretty confident this is probably the best strap match, I, I, at least I have ever seen. Mm. We should also note from Brian's promo earlier, um, he made reference to his last strap match being against somebody he loved. And of course, that was uh, the. Um, Bray Wyatt, the yes. fiend. I, I oh, did know. you mention that? I'm so I sorry. Can, I don't know. I'm I'm easily ignorable. I, I have a lot yes. going on. He, he did the... bring it up. Yes, I know. I got a lot of things to control behind the scenes, so I apologize. And, and that was a very good match too. Back in and that that was um that was without fans too, and it was a very good match that they had. Yeah, um, this match was absolutely great. I would consider maybe this to be one of the first 
great matches on this particular show and i say one of them because i think you had several candidates oh for dude the run tonight. that we're about to go on was oh. incredible but th- this was my match of the night this well, was which was a high compliment for for the show for me one of several candidates and when a match is already this good and you have other choices it tells you the, the overall quality of the show but this was fantastic and especially considering the circumstance of this being a last minute choice danielson so, coming back so quickly from a, a, the, the broken arm that makes this entire thing even more impressive um it had incredible intensity from beginning to end every one of those whips looked and sounded so incredibly hard even through the screen uh some beautiful imagery that was created throughout this match like you mentioned john some great looking camera shots especially with the use of blood and people getting choked out um and a lot of great heroic moments i thought built around brian who you know it 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 feels like this win was done very much to potentially usher him as maybe a, one of the new faces on your product of course um and maybe a new face of collision even you know because he was certainly a baby face tonight despite his inclusion in the blackpool combat club felt very much like somebody with a win like this that you could propel into being the face of a of an entire show i think this was a career making match for ricky starks on top of it i really hope like we talked about his program with mjf last year and then he kind of fizzled and i don't think got as much out of the jericho program but this is the latest and that's sort of been the story with ricky starks he gets hot but then it it, it cools down this to me is a real breakout moment for him and and i hope that this is heavily capitalized on because at the end of this i mean this, this honestly this, this was a match of the year candidate so judging from the promo on, on Collision all the way until a performance like this, it feels very much like they might be going the babyface direction with Ricky Starks. I always felt like um, the the heel turn coming off the Punk match felt kind of awkward because this was a crowd that already really was cheering for Ricky Starks. And other than, you know, the reason to, of course, pair Starks with CM Punk, um, I saw no real reason to turn Starks back into a heel. So now that the Punk thing is no longer in play, and they, he he's coming off a match this good. Uh, do you get a babyface turn from Ricky Stark? It could be you. Like, I I think he's a great heel, and you could go any direction. But I think there's going to be a lot of momentum for him. That if you want to turn him coming out of this, it won't be hard to do. I think that there's oh, yeah. going to be such great praise for this match, and I don't think you can ever have enough high level baby faces in your company. And this is one where, I mean, yes, you have MJF with the championship at the moment, but Ricky Starks could like, I just feel wherever you go with him, that this should be the catalyst for that ascension to a solid position in in your main event scene, because I think that's where he has ascended to in the audience's eyes. And this is a great return with Danielson where you can go many different ways. And a big part is the fact that, he should be probably in the main event of this Wrestle Dream show mm. in his hometown, well, near his hometown uh, yeah. in Seattle on October 1st, which they did confirm would be a pay-per-view in four weeks' time. With um, And Tony Khan, I believe at the presser, did say that uh, New Japan will be lending talent. So, again, who, what talents will that be with, with them also running a show uh, on the same day? I, I mean... Maybe Ricky know? is going going to go through all the dragons now, and he can go after Shingo next. Uh, yes, Absolutely. And, uh, Who else? Uh, you can get Super Dragon to come out for for one more match. Um, so, yeah, all of them. Just go for go red. Go for red. Uh, yeah, there's there's many options. 
Nigel uh, announces the donation Hangman's making, and then Eddie Kingston and Katsuyori Shibata against Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta. Taz is on commentary, and Kingston comes out with a Claudio Sucks Eggs shirt. And this was quite the weekend for Eddie Kingston. Uh, I have not seen his panel with Toshiaki Kawada, but it sounds amazing. Um, uh, Kawada spoke about, like, it sounded like he, this was like the same as when Kenta Kobashi came over for the Joe match, where he was thinking, like, is anyone even going to know me here? And it was like, dude, you're going to be a legend when you come over here. And it was the same with Kawada who apparently like came over and was like, is anyone even going to show up to, would they even know who I am? Like, this is someone he hasn't wrestled in 13 years. And do do you know if he's ever wrestled in North America? In the U S yeah. Like he did excursions um, and, and, and such, but he mm. like, he never came over at least to, to this audience that w- would have gone to like an ROH or something like he never did any of those, um, mm-hmm. you know, by the end. And he talked about this, like once Masawa died, it kind of ended his passion for professional wrestling. Like they have, you know, these were, were schoolmates uh, together as well. And he only wrestled another like year and a half after Masawa's passing, but it sounded like he was very candid, very open about his, his thoughts about people. And it sounded like it was an excellent panel. And um, what a lovely idea to have Eddie Kingston host, you know, this, this interview. I mean, you, you won't find a bigger fan of, of Kawada than Eddie Kingston. And just, I'm, I'm definitely going to check that out. Sounds mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, Excalibur mentions that Kawada is here tonight, but we never saw him. And I thought that was like a major like fumble mm-hmm. that they didn't have him just see it like, like Muto was the night before, like having Kawada, he doesn't have to get involved, but just to have him uh, showing would have been cool for this match. Agreed. Yeah. Well, maybe he was up in the bleachers. Yeah. You know, he also apparently said he doesn't like people using his Northern lights bomb. And Kingston was like, Oh, maybe I'll have to, uh, <laughs> make some alterations or something like that but then kingston said would you ever do uh one more match and he proposed the idea of uh kawada teaming i think it was kawada teaming with taichi against him and sonata i, I thought it was and, kawada teaming with kingston against sonata and taichi okay that might have been the combination then yeah. the two of them together and then kawada made the joke that if taichi's in the match then i won't be <laughs> So I really want to see this panel. I think it, Me too. it sounds amazing. So what, what, what would have only made it better if they were eating ramen at the same time? Oh, uh, maybe they went for ramen afterwards. They just had a, you know, deconstructed the panels. Think how mm-hmm. they, how they can uh, build upon this for a few. Maybe they'll start a podcast together. Or is it a curry shop that he has? He know. has a ramen, oh, ramen, a ramen place. place. Okay. So, um, Yuta, uh, early on, uh, Kingston takes Claudio to the floor and Claudio runs Eddie Kingston into the barricade and they're working over Kingston. Um, there's a spinning chop that drills and drops Yuta when Shibata is uh, tagged in his, his Urican and ties up Yuta for a Muda lock. And then a simultaneous ankle lock is applied to Claudio. But when Claudio breaks it, he sends Shibata back. So he fully applies the Muda lock onto the knee of Yuta. So indirectly uh, damaging Yuta's knee. Shibata hits this overhand right dude drilled Claudio. The idea that this guy was going to be cleared by New Japan to just do like no headshots, nothing dangerous, just like grappling stuff. He was like, doesn't work for me, brother, because this Mm -hmm. dude has zero, zero restrictions. He is going out there for like faux MMA fights. It's, yeah, yeah. He's not coming back and working um, like a, 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 
maybe you know like a 90s wwe tv style like he's out there having matches way more brutal i think than most average wrestlers for sure yeah yuda then drops kingston with this german another bridging one for a two count and then claudio hits the neutralizer to kingston for a two count rico la bomb gets stopped and eddie hits the hurricane and the 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 uh northern lights bomb his uh the 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 band move and Yuta breaks up the cover. Shabbat applies a rear naked choke to Yuta, then sends him into an Urican back to the rear naked choke. And then Eddie turns around into this brutal European uppercut. And Claudio wins with the European uppercut in 1550, which Nigel McGinnis notes. He has never seen someone win with a European uppercut before. The finish was very unique. Um, I have no doubt it was a brutal European uppercut, but every one of Claudio's European uppercuts looks brutal. So um, nothing like necessarily made this one look that much more significant. And you almost wondered if it was like, was this like a like like something that was not planned? I think just judging by just the reaction from the commentators and even the wrestlers, like this felt very much like an intentional finish. And I can only maybe suspect that this was, you know, perhaps a a bit of a flatter reaction that they decided to sacrifice in order to maybe build the European uppercut as a legitimate finisher, something that really can come at any point in a match and can actually finish a match. So good match overall, hard hitting and intense throughout. Um, I thought all four were really great. Yeah. There were two ways you could have gone about this. You could have done Kingston uh, pinning either guy. Like you could have had Yuta as like the sacrificial lamb and Kingston wins uh, to continue chasing Claudio, or you do the, the surprising like Kingston pins Claudio and sets up the ROH title match. Instead, they went this direction where it seems to be, this is the rival that Kingston cannot beat. And eventually we get this ROH title match, but that would seem like there are, there are ways from that because he's got to work his way towards that. But that seems to be like, maybe that's the, the end to this program is Eddie winning that ROH title. And that could be a final battle program. Uh, perhaps. Yeah. Although I would say at this point, like I'm ready for Eddie to like really be firmly like placed into, you know, an AEW world title program or at least an international title program. I, I would not be leaving this guy in ring of honor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Konosuke Takeshita and Kenny Omega followed that one and electric atmosphere at the beginning of this one. And Takeshita suplexes Kenny right on his neck and they replay this. Taz explains you could knock someone out with a suplex. I've, I've seen it happen. And um, I guess they were, they were testing that theory here, Uh, but Kenny recovers. He hits the, you can't escape on the floor using the barricade for the moonsault. And this crowd is roaring for Kenny and Don Callis ends up placing all of these chairs onto Kenny setting up Takeshita for a, uh, senton over the top to the floor where they're going after the midsection where he had the hernia operation. We see a haluva kick and a blue thunder bomb by Takeshita, and the crowd starts chanting Olay as Excalibur explains the, the background in Takeshita's first match taking place against El Generico 11 years ago. Omega hits a Topekon Hero, a poison Rana for a two count. We see both land on their feet from Germans. And then a one winged angel is countered as Takeshita hits the bastard driver for a two. And then a, a deadlift bridging German for two. Kenny comes back, gets him on the turnbuckle, trying for a one winged angel. But 
Kanosuke escapes, blue thunderbomb off the top turnbuckle by Takeshita, and then Callus whispers something, and as Takeshita distracts the referee, Callus goes to stab Kenny in the head with the screwdriver. Kenny moves out of the way, and he jams this screwdriver into the mat. These two must have had the utmost trust in this being pulled off with the right timing because mm-hmm. Don Callis was putting everything into this uh, stabbing attempt. And so you've got the screwdriver just jammed into the mat and Kenny then hits a ripcord knee, a V trigger, but Takeshita grabs the screwdriver as he's lifted for the one winged angel. But Paul Turner grabs the screwdriver away, but Takeshita still manages a victory roll counter and then gets up hits this knee strike for a near fall and the crowd is super heated and he pulls down his knee pad and drills Kenny with the exposed knee and pins him in 22 minutes and 20 seconds and kind of a similar finish to what we just saw with Claudio using a relatively basic move, but making it feel very significant and with the uh the exposed knee here for mm-hmm. just on that note brian and james in the chat are saying that claudio has won his, uh, um recent matches with the singular european uppercut so i'm I'm guessing it's something he's been doing um maybe on a on a smaller scale not on a pay-per-view but um i think it's great you know it, it continues to show that like strikes are very justifiable like uh, uh moments in a match where you could end you know something so this match was also great. One of the contenders I thought for match of the night. Um, if there was any, con- awesome. if there was any concern that Kenny would get a bit bad reaction in Chicago, I mean, this was a crowd that sounded so deflated when this guy lost. Um, he was every bit, I think, you know, major like AEW babyface tonight. It was every bit of a Kenny Omega big pay per view performance where everything just looked so awesome, so epic. Starting off with that backdrop driver, and we've kind of had you know a lot of this discussions about these sort of like head drops. Um, maybe tonight they made an excuse because they wanted to pay tribute to Kawada uh, watching this in the crowd. Um, but it it led to Takeshita doing some great work over Kenny's neck throughout the match, and then just some real spectacular back and forth with both men's really great looking offense. Love the near fall they built up using the screwdriver spots, and then all the various counters, you know, um, based off of the one winged angel. Just an outstanding match, and would you say continues the Callus Omega feud? Definitely, yeah. I think that this this continues that. You've got Osprey in the mix. You've got Takeshita in the mix. And you've still got this Jericho thing that's semi lingering as well. If, if that, because whether it is Jericho uh, teaming with Omega, like that's a direction you could go now that you, you mm-hmm. could do Osprey and Takeshita against Jericho and Omega. And, and, and that could work on a kind of New Japan themed show that you've got October 1st. Osprey's not booked for that New Japan show. I could see that tag happening at uh, the Seattle show. Mm hmm. FTR and the Young Bucks against Jay White, Juice Robinson, and the Guns. So this was where the Bucks come out, and they are booed pretty loudly by the audience. And they were they were playing it up and certainly not fighting the audience in any way. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was like a unanimous, unanimous boo. Like, you heard boos, and then you heard the people looking to drown out the boos, you know, by cheering the opposite direction. So in the end, it just kind of sounded like noise. But, I mean, I would term it definitely a mixed reaction. It went in waves like there were parts where it felt like pretty loud, but then there were also like you could see competing Young Bucks chants at certain part parts. Um, there, there was a period where the crowd was singing, oh, cry me a river. Mm-hmm. And 
Matt, when Matt would tag in or Nick, um, immediately they would get the loud booze. But then like, like later in the match, Nick comes in and he does just, just breathtaking sequence, like his regular sequence. And, and then the crowd just applauds. They're like, man, this is, this is really great stuff as well. So it was like, they were having their fun, but it wasn't to like the detriment of the match. And I think probably all these players came in understanding probably like if, if the crowd's going to target one match, this is it. And Mm. it really does show you the, the torpedo like nature, or I should say tornado, like uh, of the news cycle when two weeks ago, the audience would have been like zeroed in on like cash Wheeler being involved in a match with the guns. Agreed. (laughs) Didn't even think of that. And that was nothing like nobody even is thinking about that. Like three years ago. Yeah. Like that cash Wheeler was absolutely a beneficiary of this whole thing because he was just forgotten about. Um, with that whole thing and just you know it was moving on to the next controversy so all eight have this standoff and it leads to the baby well uh, i'll put in quotations baby faces uh applying sharpshooters simultaneously on bullet club gold and they get out of the sharpshooters juice catapults dax into the post and i'm like oh my god are we getting more blood here but no blood from from dax even with the uh, the post shot which the announcers warned those squared posts they're very dangerous when you mm. you hit them with your with your head. So this is when Nick comes in and he gets the booze, but turns the crowd pretty quickly. And then you've got the Bucks working together with a super kick party. Cash holds Austin, and and Matt almost super kicks him, and Cash grabs him, and then Matt and Cash go to deliver super kicks together. Um, Cash's first super kick felt like it was the first super kick he's ever thrown in his life. Uh, <laughs> second one got a bit more hype, but this first one. Um, it, th- this was a foreign move for uh, for Cash yeah, Wheeler. No kicks, just flips. That's it. No flips, just fists. Yes. Dax and Matt then work together for a spike pile driver onto Austin, but the save is made. Austin is left alone with all four, and Dax hits the superplex, uh, and they dub this the power and triple glory, with the other three all taking their turns off the top, culminating with a 450 by Nick, which Juice then yanked Dax off for the cover. And Matt dives to the floor with a high cross. And then, as all this action is unfolding, maybe the most telling thing, was happening in this match and the crowd broke out in an AEW chant. And mm. I thought that was, that was very noteworthy. The fact that that is what the crowd started to all chant together in all of this. Like it, it felt very symbolic. And then Dax and Nick uh, use a, sh- go for the shatter machine. And then Dax and Matt together hit the BTE trigger to Jay. So we're getting the, the mix of partners doing the trademark spots uh, there's a famous sort of mat on the floor and then the shatter machine is stopped and in the whole interference. And this was very, um, th- this was everyone's timing was great for this Amazing. ending because one yeah. step off, they would have screwed this up and it was very hard to describe, but in the interference, Jake catches cash with the blade runner and gets Colton on top 21 minutes and 40 seconds as bullet club gold win. And you have Jay white pinning Dax the night prior on collision. And then, pretty much Jay being responsible for hitting the, the blade runner to cash before um, Colton got the pin. And so Nick is apologizing to cash and they're all frustrated as, as they're leaving. Um, this was a really, really good match. It, it had a lot of um, teases with, with, with different uh, you know, just different near falls uh, throughout all of it. Um, 
I didn't have this as my match of the night, but nonetheless, I think this certainly warranted being considered in like this stretch of really strong matches during the second half of the show. I agree. I agree. I thought in particular, this finish was really amazing. I think like very you know, good, especially Jay White, you know, throughout his big new Japan matches, he's really kind of made a name for himself with these very intricate, like, um, fast pace closing sequences just full of like really great counters and that seemed to be a style expanded to eight people here where this closing stretch felt like intricate technical fast speed chess where man the crowd didn't even have time to react to some of the things that were going on everybody was just coming in boom 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 and then all of a sudden played runner one two three it was awesome 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 um i love like the idea of the bucks and ftr swapping places to complete each other's finishers i think this team up felt very appropriate coming off of the end of their rivalry and trilogy uh bullet club continues bullet club gold i should say continues to just be really awesome juice continues to play like this really um charismatic loud mouth of the group it's a perfect role for his type of energy and i think the guns continue to really impress with their ability to just handle this pace and sort of like high level of action despite their relatively young careers um but the most notable thing about this match is going to be the crowd reactions you know to the bucks and I certainly wonder what this would have felt like if they de- decided to delay FTR and the Bucks to this particular evening, because I think the reaction would have been a whole lot different. You know, um, I sensed a lot of people in this crowd wanted somebody specific that they could boo to get out their frustrations about the CM Punk story. And, you know, the the choice was was the Bucks, of course. And um what of course like made it ultimately feel a little bit uneasy was that you had a match where they were teaming up with CM Punk's closest associates in FTR. So in the end, it kind of made for this really unique and interesting dynamic where you had Punk's closest associates to maybe the people that at least, you know, to the public feel like they're the most at odds with him. Um, and it ended up being a little bit uneasy throughout, but ultimately I think the, the, the great wrestling probably overcame a whole lot and to kind of like maybe present, maybe even unintentionally planned this like united front of people that are supposedly on a punk side versus people that are the bucks um, probably was better for AEW's image overall yeah it was almost like this ceasefire by these two teams uh, working together and i like the fact that they they didn't go for the low-hanging fruit like it would have been very easy for matt jackson to do the sleeping sign or yeah. even tease a go to well, sleep. like the trios match against the death triangle exactly and yeah. would it get a pop Yes, or or, or the, the negative reaction that they would have been wanting to fan the flames and would 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 it have been a big spot online? Yeah, but to what end? Like what yeah. what is the value of that other than in the moment of ooh, look how edgy we are? And yeah. instead they decided let's just go out there and have a kick-ass match because we're looking forward and not looking back. I would love to know how they might have like booked this match if it was FTR versus the Bucks straight up. Like do do you think they would have gone there? I think you would have had the same outcome where FTR wins. Um, sure. It's almost like a pacifying. But um, I, I again, if it was under these circumstances and the match was booked for this week, I still I would not be incorporating CM Punk spots. Like it, he, yeah. we are not promoting him anymore. There's no money to be made off of CM Punk. So why are we going to spend time just getting our little wink and a nod in on television? Like it's. I don't know. I'm really past that stuff. And mm-hmm. there's a real argument of it just being way too much damage that comes out of just these silly things. But it's also it's stuff the Bucks really did hang their hat on for all those years was always being like, you know, 
yeah. working in the cute lines and the and the inside references. But but they're too close to the situation in this in this instance, in my opinion. Um, what do you think of Bullet Club Gold? Like, what do you think is the match coming out of this FTR versus what generation of Bullet Club? I think Gold? I think for sure it's like in a way you you could certainly do defenses against both teams now. Like you mm-hmm. you have like White and Juice. Colton uh, took did and you took and the pin. It was or, Colton or, getting the pin tonight, the pin. so you could easily get one on television with the guns, and maybe you do like Jay White and Juice Robinson uh, challenging FTR at the Seattle show. Or they could face the Bucks. They could face the Bucks. Like you, you definitely. And now that you have the Bucks that can do collision, um, mm-hmm. it, it opens it up that much more of like the available talent you have for for both shows. So for Dynamite, all they have announced is Jericho and Guevara against Aussie Open and Hangman Page will speak on Wednesday night. And that takes us to the main event between Orange Cassidy and John Moxley for the International Championship. And the BCC are walking with Moxley in the back, including Brian Danielson, who's got his head bandaged up. And I mean, this was the 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 whole reindoctrination of Brian Danielson with uh, the BCC with this uh, return on Saturday and tonight. Yeah, he never left, you know, it's just he never like, left, but they were doing all the separate um, segments and stuff like he was not as involved in a lot of right. the, uh, the the segments at that point. And, and you've and, got Danielson sort of in this this baby face role at this point as well. Yeah. Um. And you know what? Like maybe maybe that it's we're perfectly fine to kind of accept that, you know, like who's to say like a, a group has to be definitively like heel or baby faces. You know, there are like MMA camps that have that train fighters that audiences love and train fighters that audiences happen to hate just because you come from the same training system. Doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, people um, you all have to react, have people react the same to you. So I think like that level of sophistication can work, but of course there's perfect potential for an eventual breakup um, for that story to be told at, at any point it started off with cassidy going to put his hands in his pockets and moxley just attacks him it was a great start to this match and he suplexes cassidy on his injured neck and rams him into that square post and orange cassidy uh breaks an artery here and just bleeds and bleeds and bleeds this was a main event level blade job yes. this was your main event level blade job and mm-hmm. it wasn't moxley that was the one uh giving up the uh the plasma he is biting at the wound and hits uh continues in the ring and in cassidy after getting dominated here comes back with a satellite ddt moxley goes back to jabs and there's a PK and orange punch by orange Cassidy and they bring up the hand injury. It's not going to be the same effect with the injured hand and Moxley, every opening he gets, he just shuts down Cassidy. He applies a bulldog choke moves to a rear naked choke, then to an arm bar before a LaBelle lock and Cassidy holds up his hand and you think he's going to tap and the announcers are gasping, but then he gets to the rope. We go to the floor and a pile driver through the exposed floor is countered as Cassidy hits the beach break and throws Moxley into the steps, but he breaks the count getting back in and absorbs two orange punches. And when Cassidy goes for the third, right into a cutter, perfectly timed, but he stops a death rider, lands the next orange punch and then spears Moxley for a two count. And then as Moxley is, is just there uh, standing in front of him, Cassidy does the weak kicks and Taz is questioning this. It's like, is this the right time? And just as he says that the intensity picks up and he starts drilling him. I love this spot. I thought it was so great. And it was like the evolution of these kicks and Mm -hmm. 
it totally worked for this spot this late in the match. The evolution of Orange Cassidy, you know, like he this week he's gotten a way more serious um, on the microphone in addition to, you know, this. So this was him in desperation mode and him hitting a next level for sure. Moxie eats these kicks and then boom, nails him with this huge lariat. Cassidy pops right up, then hits him with a second one, hits the Death Rider. Cassidy kicks out. And as Cassidy is staring down Moxley, he gives him the two middle fingers and takes the big high angle Death Rider. And Moxley pins him in 19 minutes and 43 seconds. Moxley leaves with the BCC as Cassidy is left in a pool of his blood in the ring. And he is the lone figure out in the ring as the show goes off the air he gets up the crowd is chanting thank you orange and he puts his arm in the air and he lost the match but this to me was as definitive like the solidifying of orange cassidy at another level they put this title reign over as this legendary run that orange cassidy had and i i really believe like there was as equal a chance of them ending the reign here as there was of Cassidy being one of the few people that gets a singles win over Moxley. Like it's a very small number of people that have got that in AEW, but they went with this direction. Um, But at the end of this, you just feel like orange Cassidy has ascended to another level. And that was something I enjoyed a lot about this pay-per-view was the fact that this was a clear elevation of orange Cassidy. It was a clear elevation of Ricky Starks and you come out of it and you've just got even more players. In and, and, and both those, John, came as a result of losses, you know. So at the same time, you're you're kind of elevating your veterans to be able to maybe, you know, hold the flag for, for the promotion. While at the same time, with these spectacular matches, Takesha included, um, they all come out looking incredible. So... What a match. And of course, when you talk about a match like this, you have to talk about the totality of this title run and how I think, I mean, you took what was um, a title that I think a lot of people were complaining about just, you know, at a time when there were too many titles already in AEW and somehow you turned this run into something that felt i would say not exactly the same but like had sort of like flashes of like an undertaker level streak you know where this guy goes on this incredibly epic run that you just really didn't want to see end and i at this point i would probably classify this as aew's best title run in its short history um i thought this was the right call to have moxley win because you were never going to recapture a moment like this a pay-per-view main event that came simply of uh, out of circumstance um and of course you you know having john moxley on the other side i mean he's really at this point the company's top star and you got to match this intense and i thought box just did an incredible job of basically playing like a grizzly bear you know mauling like a like a half dead deer that just refuses to die and there's no better person to you know put cassidy against to, in this monster role than somebody like a mox the fact that Moxley holds the championship now, you can continue to justify putting the international championship in a main event role. You know, you're lifting it. Like you don't need the real world title anymore because you have the international title that feels like a true main event level worthy championship, especially with Moxley holding it. But this was about the evolution of Orange Cassidy. He's no longer, I mean, for a long, long time, he's not, he's been somebody way more than just a punchline, you know, independent like gimmick. Like he's an incredibly complex wrestler the type of character that you can use to just convey this incredible level level of sympathy and depth of emotion in a never give up attitude without 
saying a whole lot you know it's incredible and it's a testament to i think the level of performer and the level of creative that he is so he's more than ready i would say for a world title run whenever they decide to execute so this was a fantastic show that AEW put on and it felt as though they came out of this weekend and it does feel like it's a new era of AEW and ones that I feel like it's it's going to be divided. Like there are audiences that are upset about this decision, but there seems to be a lot of they're ready to move on and hopefully put a lot of these um counterproductive issues in in the past not to say things are just going to be rosy going forward they won't be there will still be disputes there will still be problems and there will there is in all likelihood there will be more cm punk drama attached to this this company but at least coming out of this weekend it felt as though they were moving forward and well they had to they had no other choice they had to show show to produce right they did but i mean you just you come out of this and this did not feel as though this is uh this company that has lost um that it, it's been like what will the company do now since they've lost this this yeah. giant star i'll say nobody on this roster felt like they were coasting like it felt like everybody had a bit of a chip on their shoulder to make sure that this this show overcame whatever negative headlines were associated with the brand and everybody on this show top to bottom put in incredible effort All right. We're going to open it up. Uh, If you'd like to call in, uh, we will be going to a couple of phone calls and then getting to your feedback as we uh, round out our all of rich review. Yeah, we got some super chats here and two from McRuber who sends $5 and then another $5. Thank you so much for that support. He says, I did not realize I had to write the message first. Haha. Just left the show. Punk and elite crowd. Very mixed throughout. No Tony Miro and Hobbs match of the night. There you go. Well, I, I could imagine people in the arena would come away with that thought because it seemed like it was a party during mm-hmm. that match. Uh, I would not classify it as match of the night, but I could certainly see from a from a crowd spectacle standpoint, it was like that audience made that match for me completely. It, like it felt like a WrestleMania post WrestleMania level type of like reaction. Yeah, it's it. a good reaction or a good comparison. We go to uh, Psycho Forty Five who sends a super chat to say, "What a great show! Cheers for all the coverage." So thank you for that. Thank you, Psycho. Uh, let's go to a phone call here from Brian. Hey, Brian. Good evening, guys. Yeah, this was a home run show to me. I, I placed my order for it uh, on the strength of Brian Danielson being announced for it uh, on Saturday. Hmm. Definitely got my money's worth from him. Not only did his match kick ass, I thought this whole show kicked ass uh, to varying levels. But uh, even coming off of All In, there's you know shocker, no shores of great wrestling these days, especially from this company. And you know, Danielson starts was my match of the night, and I had the main event right behind it. I echo all of your sentiments about the star making uh, matches uh, held by uh, a clutch of guys. Orange Cassidy, by this point, is indisputable in my eyes. I, I've I've seen this guy, this wrestler, for years and years and years as Orange Cassidy, and as a specifically masked ant before that. But uh, you know, I've gone from defending him to just like not even listening to people badmouthing him. <laughs> Good lord, and you know, also really liked Luchasaurus and Darby Allen. Megan Takeshita was really good. Eight man tag. The atmosphere was just so loud and wild. I did not expect an MJF Samoa Joe feud to start out of the show, but yes, please to all of this for the promos alone. Um, my biggest negative may have just been the flat ending to Statlander and Soho, but they I thought they were good as well, and. I kind of hope that Hobbs and Miro do eventually team up for the ultimate meat slapping showdown against probably the biggest pieces of me on the roster, the Iron Savages. 
Hmm. Interesting. There's certainly magic, you know, to be able to capture with this pairing, whether with them uh, doing a rematch with each other or maybe even as a tag team. So, um, I wasn't there like a what, what did they call Butcher and like what was the team that um they had like the oh, trio um, or Magic Meat? Magic, magic meat. meat. Okay, <laughs> so you can have a lot of meat on meat violence. Um, mm. Anyway. Uh, so here's a question, actually. I wanted to ask you, maybe Brian, and maybe yeah. even the chat room. What 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 do you think was the better show, All In or All Out? Strictly from a quality question. standpoint. From a quality standpoint. Well, All In was definitely the more monumental show and had a lot of great matches as well. I think this one, I came, came out of it just thinking uh, better match quality up and down the card. Because like some of the matches on All In didn't quite agree with me. I wasn't as high on Stampede as most people because I thought that was just like, as I said in my feedback to that. But uh, yeah, again, like no shortage of great wrestling, but I would definitely suggest people check out All Out. How about you, John? Do you have an answer for that? Um, I put put this show ahead of All In. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of recency bias, but... I think there not was really high. the other show happened a week ago. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> this is more, this was more recent. I mean, a week ago, a lot has happened since, but I think like, yeah, like I can see some people claiming that there might've been some match of the year contenders in this one. And I don't know if you might've had that for all in, at least to me watching. Um, thank you, Brian, for the call. Appreciate it. Thank you. Let's go up next to Hansi. Hey, Hansi, what's up? What's going on? Um, I thought someone else was joining in. For yeah, sorry. <laughs> And that's, that's all good. It's all good. Um, no, uh, yeah, no. I, I it, it was money uh, worth. It was, it was well spent, man. I, 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 enjoy, I enjoyed the show. I'm glad I did. I, I, I you know, I just when they said they're gonna put Orange Cassie and uh, Moxley there, I'm like, you know, it's it's, it's probably the best bet because, like, I, I honestly would have wished if, uh, like, I, because I, I thought it was a big mistake to not have Moxley versus Orange Cassie initially on Wembley because it's the international title. So, you know, defending your international title on international ground for the biggest stage, I thought that would have been kind of dope. But, I mean, it probably was more meaningful to be in the main event, and it wouldn't have been the main event last week. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So, yeah, because the thing is, you you asked what's better. I I say the match quality on this show is better, but the thing is, man, Jericho and Osprey in the main event for uh, All In, those really were top-notch to me, and I really, like, I was so high on those matches. You know what I mean? Like, I really was impressed with Jericho and Osprey. So, I mean, it's kind of tough, but I, I did like the matches a lot better on this show for the most part and all that kind of stuff, especially the main event and uh, the strap match. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I mean, you would have had a doable match with punk, I think, but I don't know. So they seen them wrestle and maybe they would have changed it up a bit on, in this, in, in this, in this match. But I mean, when Brian Danielson steps in, man, that guy is like, you know, he's just way too good. And I'm a steamboat mark as well. So I thought that match was awesome. And I, I liked the, yeah, Hobbs and Mira. I liked a lot more. I, you see, it would have meant a lot more if Hobbs is pushed, had been more consistent, so you're anticipating this battle. But I think this match did enough good where now you're kind of like, okay, they better like ride the momentum of this because you know because you know it, it just is what it is. But as somebody who didn't like Orange Cast, like, I, I didn't hate the guy ring like that. I just thought, okay, she's gonna be a meme wrestler, a mascot. That's fine, whatever, right? But like, you know, what I mean, I, I just didn't see, I didn't see like anything really that great. I think it was like all out 2021 
when his it was a character thing that switched me on him when his character doesn't really care much right but when Statlander was facing Brett for the title mm-hmm. all of a sudden he started getting really passionate he started getting really angry and, and all that and I'm like yo that's pretty that's pretty effing cool man because like like you know because like, his character never cares and he cares about his friend winning so I thought like when that happened, I started changing my mind more about him, and I, I'm really glad. I, I was ready for the rain to be done. I wanted Swerve to win it, but I, I'm glad they kept it as long as they did, I guess, and because it paid off in the end. Sometimes you worry if the title reign is not going to pay off in the in the in the end of the things, whatever. Um, but like I thought, this lived up to expectation, and I'm I'm a, I'm a huge fan of main eventer guys going for like you know like bought other titles because I think like if you. Again, like I pointed out before, like if you can't uh, get someone to go to the main event level, beating Moxley at this level with the international title, that will like go. You beat you beat an ex main eventer guy, so like that elevates somebody. And before I go, I, I know it's quick, whatever. Uh, Chris, oh, Christian did mention he was asked at the press conference about Edge, and he goes, "I only talk about myself." I thought that, I thought that was funny. I didn't really pay attention much to it, but Christian addressing Edge was pretty hilarious. So that, 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 that's a good uh, highlight, whatever. Um, but to answer your question, um, would you guys, if they're teasing Joe and the MJF, right? Would you guys like uh, what have Joe win the tournament and go to Grand Slam, or do you think they should wait until like maybe wait that out until like full gear or something like that? Because I'm I'm gonna look forward to the promos and I'm gonna look forward to seeing how MGF's character, uh, you know, goes because Joe's a monster, right? So I, I'm just I'm curious about how that's gonna go, and I'm looking forward to the promos because I know MGF has like 15 minutes on a promo for that. But anyway, thanks again, thanks, thanks again, guys, and uh, good work as always this past week. And uh, John, I, I enjoyed your Terry Funk, uh, um, you know, autobiography thing that you did for him, man. That was really cool. Peace out. Thank you, Hansi. Thank you. You know, if, was, if this it was a biography, not an autobiography, but yes, yeah, my yeah. my my Terry Funk uh, autobiography. But um, if if this were the roles reversed for this Anoki show, I mean, you do have like the guy that did train in like the the L.A. version of the right. Anoki Dojo against the guy who like despises New Japan. But that's not the roles they're playing at the moment. But that would mm-hmm. be such a natural for Seattle next month. True. Yeah. And you, seems- you, could, you could still do this. Um, like, I, I don't see that happening at Grand Slam. You're going to do this tournament. I see Joe being a bigger match, whether it be October 1st or e- even after that. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I'm curious to know, like, how often they might switch between MJF title defenses, world title defenses versus ROH title defenses, because I think um, both of them, you know, can feel like they are like worthwhile uses of MJF. Um I um not I, if it's I, a dark order. I I think like those like <laughs> you, like you need to be pairing like that is your top group and if it's Cole and MJF like like you you need your top teams I think if you're going to put that on pay-per-view. Um right. Yeah, I, I think they have a lot of big shows to come, and um, you could slot that MJF Joe match really anywhere. Um, I'd love to see them have like a pretty full, substantial feud because how far are we from? Um, we're a month away from uh, yeah. Russell Dream. Well, and you could tell a pretty good story even in that time, especially with the hot start that they had. So maybe maybe it's likely at this point with the intensity that that tonight was. Let's go to somebody who was actually at the show tonight, Ryan. Hey, Ryan, welcome. Hey, what's happening, guys? Can you hear me all right? We yes. can hear you. Hi, right, it's my first time caller long time listener um thank you i thought the show was excellent tonight and it was even better for me i thought because i woke up this morning i didn't even have a ticket to the show like i bought it the, uh online this morning the market kind of dropped for this show i just watched throughout the day the ticket prices going down down so i grabbed tickets later and was 
very surprised. Like the expectations were low going in, but then walking out, one of the better shows I've saw. So the crowd was fun, uh, especially during the uh, eight man tag mm-hmm. match. Like that whole dichotomy, and John, like you pointed out, when they said um, when they were doing the AEW chant at the end, it just everything paid off. I thought that was a great moment. Yeah, to, to me, it was one of the more kind of symbolic moments of the entire show was that, you know, where they easily like to me, it was it was very much like this audience almost stating by the end of it, like they too want to move on from all of this. And it's not as though like this was a crowd that wanted to overtake this match like they had their fun with, with the Young Bucks and such. But by the end, it was like they were here to see a great wrestling show. And if you were thinking like you were going to be tuning in to just see uh, a disastrous post CM mm-hmm. Punk AEW show, that was not what you were. That was not what this, this, this fan base wanted. That was in that arena. Right. And I don't know if it came across on TV, but there were a few times, two or three that I counted where they were trying to start CM Punk chants earlier in the night and they were getting shut down immediately. Not, you know, not very like violent or anything. And then that Crimea River chant that you mentioned was in response to a CM Punk chant getting shut down. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, like get over it. Let's move on. Like there's something else going on in the ring. So overall great show. I love the first match and that uh, the MJF and uh, Adam Cole match and just shows that, you know, the crowd was so into it. You don't need to do like such crazy things that like a simple tag match old school works. Like before MJF was coming down, the, the ramp, the entire arena looked to the ramp like a minute before he came and everyone's expecting it. And they still went nuts when he came out. It was awesome. What was your uh, match of the show, Ryan? That one was my favorite, the opener, the MJF okay. Adam Cole one, but I would say probably the best match technically was Kenny Omega, you know, uh, and, and losing. Like, it was unexpected. So my friend and I said the same thing. Like it was a great match, but then um, him losing was just a shock and it just kind of added to it. That being said, Kenny losing, I thought he, uh, Orange Cassidy was going to be a lock at the end mm-hmm. to win. So either way, it was uh, all great matches. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for the live report, Ryan. And uh, yeah. glad you uh, picked up a ticket. It was an excellent show to go watch. Yeah, I know. It just meant so much more. Just like not, not having that in the plan and then to end up the day like that. Just really fun. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for, for calling in, Ryan. Great to hear from yeah, you. Yeah, no problem. See you Thank later. you, Ryan. Take care. Uh, let's go to some written feedback and John, whatever you want to cut this off, feel free because uh, we do have a few pieces here. Okay. We start off with uh, Mark who writes in, wow, what a show after the last week and especially the last 36 hours. This is exactly what the company and roster needed to deliver what it lacked in the spectacle of last week's all in and more than made up for in in-ring action. The crowd in Chicago brought it. It seemed like a celebration with the dark clouds of controversy, finally lifting away. Uh, this was an absolute blast listing off uh, the matches he enjoyed and loved this show would put it next to revolution as my favorite AEW show of the year. Let's go up next to Cody from Maine who says, I can't fault anyone for calling out the build or lack thereof, or the decision to run pay-per-views on back-to-back weekends at full price to justified criticism. Unfortunately, pay-per-views with weak and or short builds are nothing new to major wrestling promotions, but on a positive note, nor is the idea of one of these shows over delivering. And this show takes the cake as AEW's best example, surpassing the first forbidden door, which at least had novelty going for us for it. This show was great. Props to the crowd for hanging in there for essentially the entire event and not killing the show with punk related chants and props to the performers who busted their asses and ring tonight up and down the card. Are the positive reactions amplified due to the lack of expectations? Sure, but I'm not complaining. I was thoroughly entertained tonight. Thanks for the show. Yeah. And I think those are 
somewhat separate things. Like, again, like I looked at this card, it looked like a very good card. And I would say even, even that it exceeded expectations. I think you just looked at it in terms, like I will say th- this morning, I was not jonesing to sit down and watch another five hours of wrestling tonight, even though I looked at this, I was like, this will be a very good card, but the just having the show last night and you know, you're just coming off an AEW show last week. And, and how much did that filter into like audiences that were they mentally ready to spend another $50 or just after maybe you watched payback last night and you had the intention of I'll spend two nights watching wrestling and you watch one and you've got your fill. Like I had my fill after last night of wrestling for this weekend. Like I was good. Um, If I had just been a consumer, I I don't know if I would have been like dedicating another night of my weekend to watching wrestling. And again, we will see how this show does, but if it's already over a hundred, I would already take that as a, as a positive because this was, very demanding of your audience to come back a second week. But if it does a good enough number that does tell you about the audience and what they are, what, what they would are. be the takeaway you would get if, if yeah, let's say this is about over one ten. Um Does it give you more confidence with them moving into a monthly pay-per-view schedule? Like what would be your main takeaway? From I, I think, I think for sure they continue this next year. I think that's, you know, you they, the back-to-back weeks, the back-to-back weeks. I think mm-hmm. they continue that because they want to do well. We know when Wembley is next year and the fact they want this Labor Day tradition that they're very high on doing. I think it gives them confidence that they can do it again next year. And I think certainly they're at that point now. They've said as much about expanding their pay-per-view calendar. And I think this would certainly give you confidence that that pay-per-view in four weeks is probably a very safe bet to do like this is our base that is coming back and they'll spend a hundred dollars over eight nights and it's not it's not a problem if we can get 110 to 115,000 buys and it seems like much more for that for last weekend's card i think that that tells you like that audience you can you can depend on but over time that that will somewhat erode that when you, if we're moving to anywhere from eight to 12 pay-per-views a year let's go up next to uh, is this me john uh yes um no 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 uh you just went with cody um jesse writes an excellent show though i think it's a mistake to run pay-per-views on back-to-back weekends i expect the buys to reflect this i often find the audio on AEW broadcast to be mixed poorly from but from what i could hear the crowd was largely supportive of hangman and even omega but mostly booed the bucks did it sound the same for you guys yes we went over that that was um that was fairly similar certainly they were not all that negative towards hangman and, and omega do you see danielson staying in the bcc he seems to be a babyface now and maybe moxley is too but castagnoli isn't and way you think this dynamic can just be fine the way that these are you know competing personalities but they're all kind of unified through this one group i think that's fine especially like with i think um i don't know like the the, the maybe sort of like the semi-realistic um like i thought the bcc entire in its entirety would have like turned babyface after the elite feud and they've really kind of continued to play this like pretty separate role to pretty decent effect to me like danielson coming out with the bcc did not really like feel awkward at all like it just felt like okay these are people from the same house i like this guy but i don't like this guy and i i think that still works especially if like you know maybe you have desires to keep danielson on collision while you have the rest of the bcc stay on um dynamite i think it 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 perfectly is fine but again they could tell that story when they want to of that breakup um 
Do you have any uh, thoughts? Like, because Jesse asked here why maybe the Bucks might have received a more negative reaction than Kenny or um, Hangman. Because they're the ones mostly, like, I think people see this much clearer as, like, over time, this became more of a punk Young Bucks central issue. And and really, I think if depending on how you want, did you see this clip on on Collision last night? Like after the they went off and no, Matt's in the ring and he's kind of just putting his arms up, doing this victory lap. And certainly people read into that as though that was like some subtle knock. Um, the stories out there completed. about like the the at this point it's almost like a it's a he said she she said of like you know whether or not there was a meeting and um but it is it does seem pretty like I guess agreed upon that the Bucks did not want the meeting. You know, I wonder if that might have kind of played into that. I, I just think over point. time, like they're the ones that are seem to be the most tied to the the, the punk issues, um, rightly or wrongly. I think that's how the audience views it. Um, so I think that is seen as sort of like, and there they are the ones that I think like the audience just it, it gravitates more towards in terms of that kind of a reaction that they would probably seek that that kind of thing. We go to Jordan from the Bronx who says, this is the type of show that AEW need, needed to move from all the controversy. Everyone seemed motivated to perform at their highest level and we were treated to a show of the year contender. All In felt like a season finale, while All Out felt like a season premiere. Hopefully this is the final reset show that AEW has to do and everyone can move on from this past year's mess. I'm also glad to see the Chicago crowd didn't completely hijack the show. Punk is beloved there, but the consequences of his actions couldn't be avoided. Finally, I did find it comical that every time a CM Punk thing happened, Moxley is somehow rewarded with a title belt. Well, I don't think one had to do with the other here, but um, it didn't. It, it's just it, co- completely coincidental. Yeah. Sal from California says my favorite match of the night was Hobbs and Miro, which I never would have expected. A great Haas fight, which we don't get too often in AEW. I hope Hobbs doesn't get lost in the shuffle after this match. All right, we go to David from Arlington, who says, I've been a fan of CM Punk since he debuted in WWE CW. I sought out any type of info I could when the pipe bomb happened, and that's how I found Review of Raw and The Law, and I've been a fan of you guys ever since. Everything concerning his departure in 2014 and the subsequent years really made it a dream situation whenever he actually came to AEW. Every program he had since his return was great. All that being said, he really has just been dragging down the brand since all out of last year and has returned this year. It was like I couldn't even enjoy AEW since his return because every week there was something else coming out. He deserves all the credit in the world for bringing eyes to the promotion with both of his returns, but on the same token, he deserves all the brunt of the negativity brought to the brand as well. His match with, with, his match with Joe last week was great, especially considering the circumstances, but still, this is a tie that I'm glad AEW has cut because the focus should always be on the show itself. All In is the greatest example of this. The company's biggest show ever, and Punk was the main topic before the show even started. CM Punk is a great pro wrestler, but still, I say good riddance. AEW is bigger than any one wrestler, and the show tonight proves this. It was great. So, uh, Not so much, more more so thoughts about uh, CM Punk rather than um, the show, but um, yeah, eloquently stated uh, his opinion from David. Yeah, and it reflects a lot of what I've seen, where honestly, I feel, uh, granted, you, you can you can find, you know, the the people that will take sides, but I see a lot of people that give him a very fair assessment. Like there's no one that is denying the value that he brought, which would just diminish your argument. If you were to negate 
but also holding him responsible for what I think he should be held accountable for. I think a lot of people have given this guy a very fair accounting of the situation from their vantage point. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, if he wasn't so good at his job and didn't create so many incredible moments for people, I don't think the leash would have been this long, you know, like considering maybe some of the controversies that happened. But the big difference maker was like whatever took place in that video um, with Tony Khan present, I, I think, you know, that probably maybe is not something we'll know specifically, but was prop like if if that particular moment didn't happen I don't know if he would be gone. It's hard to say um, because ultimately there was, there was going to be a breaking point and this was one that it was just, there was, there was no denying um, what was Mm. inevitable. I feel Kate has the last word here. The last week for the company has been wild. I would have bet money on them not being able to top all in, but I think I preferred this one. That's partly because you could feel the emotion of the show tonight. Like everyone knew they had to pull out all the stops and every single person stepped up. I've been hard on Phil sometimes, but I do legitimately think that his initial run had a lot of great moments. That said, there's nothing he could have added to the show that would have made it any better than it was. I guess we won't know for sure, but I'd genuinely be curious to see if this show doesn't do significantly better than usual in day after purchases. There's going to be strong word of mouth from this show as one of the best shows of the year and one that at, at worst you could put side by side with all in. And quite frankly, just the, the string of matches from Danielson starts onward um, to, to me, it just had more high quality matches than I would say last week. I would say the big ones for me were FTR bucks, Jericho and Osprey. And, and you could throw in MJF and Cole in the mix. They had stadium stampede. Like they were both excellent shows and we're yeah. kind of de- deciphering. Like if you have to rank one or the other, they're competing against themselves. Shows. They're competing against themselves, John. And the totality of this conversation, maybe as negatively slanted as it was at the beginning of the week, AEW put on two great shows back to back. And I have to think if you were one of the people who decided to spend money on the both of them, I don't think you would have complained about spending either one, you know? Like uh, spending money on either one because I thought you got quality as a result. All right. But that's going to bring an end to our all out review and uh, and our weekend of shows. So if you want to go back, we do have uh, our breakdown of the whole CM Punk story from Saturday night, along with a review of Payback uh, that you can go check out. And then we do it all. Cino and Kate reviewing Collision last night. That's right. They have a whole review of Collision Course and their thoughts on everything going into uh, tonight's show. And then Monday night, we will be back with Rewind to Raw. Uh, chatting about uh, the fallout from payback and what is on tap. They are in Charlotte, North Carolina on Monday night. I don't believe they have announced anything yet. So we will be back Monday at 11 Eastern time on the post YouTube channel. So I want to thank all of you for joining us live. And that is it.